Welcome to the Full 60 featuring Craig Custance and presented by The Athletic. Each week, we'll dive into the biggest stories in hockey while bringing in unique voices to entertain and explain all aspects of the game. Hey, this is Craig, and welcome to a very special edition of the Full 60. Pierre and I, Pierre Lebrun and I, are sitting in sunny Boca Raton, Florida, with the NHL GM's meetings just wrapped up. This is going to be a two-parter. Second half of this podcast is featuring Washington Capital General Manager Brian McClellan, who is, who is great. And it was fun to talk to Brian. You like Brian's awesome. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Um, but we also wanted to get into a little bit of what went on in these meetings um, uh, and, and have Pierre talk a little bit about, about his highlights. And also, I want to plug the conversation we had on Pierre and Scott Burnside's podcast, Two Man Advantage, with, with Mark Bridgman. I thought Mark Bridgman was really interesting in that. Yeah, and he's he's certainly he's done the media rounds here over, over the past week, and and I think it was smart of the Montreal Canadiens to, you know, probably game plan that way with with the, the kind of pressure that he's been on under this year. They're going to miss the playoffs for a third straight year, and I think, you know, it's important for that franchise, you know, to explain where they're going moving forward. And I think Mark, Mark Bergman did a pretty good job of that in our interview, but also with the other media outlets here this week. Yeah, so check that out. I, and to me, the most interesting thing, there's such a, I think maybe more than any GM, a gap between the public persona of a GM and the private. And he, he, he was good. He's like, look, you know, I, he's a funny guy and he's, he's cracked jokes. He's known for like as a player, as a practical joker. And you can't do that. Like you can't be caught doing, messing around when you're the GM of a high profile team like that. Uh, yeah. That and and it's, it's funny because I think one day when he's no longer the GM of the Habs and who knows when that will be, I, I, I definitely believe that he'll be back for another year. But whenever he does move on, eventually every GM moves on. It'll be interesting to see if we see the old Mark Bergman back again. I mean, the one yeah. that we got to know as a scout in Chicago and as a player a long time in the league that just has this, exuberance of life and this uh, just this wicked sense of humor it just has not it's been suppressed yeah because of the pressure of that job in montreal and uh, which i think is too bad all right so pierre how many of these have you done how many of these gms like I, this is such a fascinating process Ooh. to me because we're sitting right now at the it's, it's boca beach club and the ocean is to my left pierre's staring at it <laughs> um and you know you can hear the birds chirping it, it's such a surreal place to do business right because people here are on vacation and we're right. like all in like suits and or you are at least i'm in my jeans and a polo but we're you know we're trying to do our job and it's just, and you know you're, you're grabbing guys as they walk out. It's 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 a weird stop on the NHL schedule, but it, fun. It, yeah, it's it's my favorite one. Is it? Um, you know, I find the Board of Governors, uh, which I also cover every year in early December, a little more laborious. And part of it is I don't have the same relationships with owners, right? Uh, that that I have with GMs. I think everyone's like that in the NHL media. The GMs are more the the day. I'm actually super close with every owner. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> I know some owners, but just not all of them. Um, and I also think it's the, 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 the agenda is a little drier, the board of governors, yeah. uh, you know, I think the GM meetings is, is more at the grassroots level of the game in terms of the gatekeepers of the game, if you will. And, right. uh, and you know, the rule changes and so on. So I, I'm always fascinated at what happens here, even in years where there's not a lot of big news, it's still the conversations that are had amongst these guys are, are, are always very interesting and. Certainly for me on this day, as we wrap things up, the, the big takeaway was the salary cap news because it's yeah. interesting at the Board of Governors meeting in Pebble Beach, Gary Bettman did not provide, at least to us, uh, a ballpark figure, which was the first time in many years that he didn't do that at that meeting for us. Finally today, Bill Daly saying that he shared with GMs that next year's cap will be between $84 million and $88.2 million. And no yeah. matter what, which number it is between those two figures, 
that's a jump. I mean, that's the, the cap's jump, at 81.5 yeah. million right now. And, you know, the reason you still don't know for sure is because it has to be negotiated with the PA. But I, I can tell you already from looking at the reaction on Twitter that fans are figuring out what it means for their team because already, every dime right. that, I mean, yeah. there's so many teams in LTIR and right at the cap this year that that would be pretty positive news for those GMs to hear today. And just to, just to be clear, that gap, because it, it sounds like, oh, we're going to project a gap uh, and it's, there's a $4 million gap, that's essentially the, not the inflator, what's the, the appropriate word that we're supposed to the use? Growth that, the growth factor. The growth factor. I don't want the PA. The, the, the PA has one uh, way to call and the league has another <laughs> that's one. That's right. Yeah. The players, um, you know, they, they have the right to vote a percentage. I think it was 1% last year increase. 1% was yeah. the, yeah. And so that that's that's the gap. So that's going to be. Um, but I think last year part of the problem was like there were the cap number. It took forever for it to come out, and I think that really hindered some GMs and some trades. And it it's did. good to get some clarity. It seems like there's a little bit more of an effort to get some clarity. At, uh, My guess is from talking to GMs that they've all learned now to go with the most conservative number that's there. <laughs> right, so they're probably going right. to budget for 84. Right. Coming out of this meeting, even though it could be 85, 86, 87, 88.2. Interestingly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably right. I think it'll be 84, 85 million is where it's going to end up. But it's still the jump. Um, now, kind of off topic, but not off topic, only because it's been such a prevalent discussion here this week uh, with the fears of the uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Gary Bettman was careful not to want to get into too many different scenarios because it's just so hard to predict where all this is headed. But as someone said to me last night, I mean, the idea of playing in front of an empty arena come playoff time is, is potentially there, right? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, hopefully it doesn't come to that. But obviously the health of of, of everyone is more important than, than the business of the game. And yeah. This, you know, so we'll see how this plays out. But the reason I'm bringing this up in conjunction with the salary cap is if what if half the playoffs are played that way and now suddenly the revenues get hit? What does <laughs> right, that do to the right. cap? That's you interesting. Know, I'm just saying. I mean, yeah. that's, so who knows? Um, the coronavirus was another kind of consistent talker here this week, mm-hmm. um, and and you wrote a great piece on it. Great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I'm now the coronavirus, the, the athletics coronavirus expert. But um, it was interesting because Gary Bettman today shared a little bit more. He shed some light into mm-hmm. what, how they're handling it within the NHL offices. So if an NHL employee goes over within the offices into a European city or whatever, a city infected, or excuse me, country, you know they have to come back, have a two week quarantine. Mm-hmm. As of right now. The, they're still leaving it up to the teams. Like teams have indiv- can make the ind- individual calls. But was there any any aspect of the coronavirus um, story that stood out to you that that you were like, okay, that's pretty interesting? Yeah, um, I think probably the most pragmatic way to go about it, and that's what I'm sensing from GMs, is that I don't know that one solution is going to fit every team at once. I think it's really going to be localized in their markets as far as response. I mean, some areas are going to be, I think, again, I'm no expert on this, but I think some areas will be hit harder than others. And because of that, I think some teams will be affected differently and react differently than other teams. Yeah. I mean, so I think that's the way it's going to, I think it's going to be more of a piecemeal reaction as opposed to every team, every team do this. Yeah. You know? A um, couple of other interesting updates that just stood out to me. Well, there's one, um, you know, I asked about the CBA negotiations. Kind of quiet, you know, it's, it's going on in the background. You're not hearing it and you know we've talked to people that are saying that's probably a good thing right like if it's if it's not front and center um so they kind of gave a, a semi update no update there basically they're talking but nothing nothing to report um there. no news is good news no really news when it comes to news, that right like uh, there was nobody was mad they seemed uh, optimistic 
Gary Bettman did say, like, carving out an international calendar, and I know we've been talking about this for years, it mm. seems like, but is something the league is really interested in doing. It's, a, it's a huge like part of yeah. these negotiations right now, yeah. And obviously the NHLPA wants to go to the Olympics. It's funny because I, I've talked about this sort of off hours with a few managers this week, and, and uh, it's, it's kind of a mixed response out there. There's some mm. managers who understand the importance of what the Olympics would mean again, but there's others that just feel like it's not good for their business, Yeah, um, which is reflective of what their owners truly think. So it'll be interesting to see if the PA gets its way and, and the Olympics are part of that international calendar, how Gary Bettman massages that from a group of owners that, that really don't want to go. That seems legit. Like we, yeah. you know, we've had those conversations with people where it's like, it, it may sound like a negotiating ploy by the league or whatever, when they say, Oh, our, our owners don't want to go, but they're, people have said like that, like they really don't want to, they don't see, like, so now it becomes, and, and I don't want to like sound like we're doing carrying the water, but now it becomes, okay, how badly do the players want to go? You and I both obviously think it's great for the sport. I think, I my favorite example is I still use like one of the most recognizable hockey players in the U.S. is T.J. Yoshi because of that shootout. Like for sure, the casual fan, like that. For sure, I don't know how to quantify the worth of that. It didn't sell more tickets, I don't think, but yeah. that's worth something. No, and 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 listen, I, I I think it's a legitimate claim by the league that says that all those Olympics that they participated in never really benefited them financially. I I think that's true, but. Yeah. As I like to say, and, and I know this grates, I think, on the commissioner and, and other people of the league, but doing what's right for the game is, is sometimes different than doing what's right for the business. Mm. And I think Olympic participation raises the profile of hockey like nothing else can. And, and, and also, doing well by your players. I mean, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, could you even consider the idea that Austin Matthews and Jack Eichel and, and, and Rasmus Dahlin and Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon may not play in a single Olympic Games in their career. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, how do you even generation, right? How do you look at them in eye to eye and say that's possible? Yeah, you yeah. Or, or we've seen the last of Sidney Crosby, mm-hmm. you know, playing for Canada in the Olympics. Like that's those, you know, those. I mean, that, that anniversary of the Golden Goals just came up, and then, like those are right. Those are the moments like that we remember as a sport. And listen, we all love the Stanley Cup and the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, yeah. that's really the engine. But I don't know that I could tell you who scored the Stanley Cup winning goal ten years ago. No, I mean, I'm just saying, like, we're all, we're still talking about that Sidney Crosby goal. It was Patrick Kane, right? What yeah. year are we in? I don't know. 2010, yeah, I guess it would have been, yeah, Kane in Philadelphia. Yeah, Good for you. Right. <laughs> that was quick. The weird overtime goal. The weird, it was just because yeah. it was weird. Um, all right, so a, a couple other things. I, I, I found it interesting. We talked uh, afterwards with Bill Daly, and he said, um, you know, that, that Arizona Coyote situation is interesting mm-hmm. where they've been, they're being investigated for. You were poking your nose in there, Craig. Yeah, well, I, I think it's an interesting thing, right? And it kind of went quiet, like the um, prospects being worked out. And he said the Coyotes are being very cooperative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it seems clear that they have a different opinion of what they did than what. And it's still under investigation. It's still under investigation. In a nutshell. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, but what kind of came? What, what I thought was interesting was that there seems to be more discretion in what the punishment can be than maybe originally we thought because it looked like in the you know you looked at the memo or whatever and it was like 250,000 per incident and seemed right. like, well, we're going to do some math here and they're going to get hammered but it doesn't I, I think at the end of the day Gary Bettman can do anything he wants <laughs> right. like that no was, I mean really right. I mean it really right. comes down to I, I think he can there could be loss of draft picks there could be uh, you know uh, you know 
maybe not have access to a certain NHL. There's a lot NHL event. I mean, yeah. let your mind wander. There's a lot of different ways to send a message and dole out punishment. If indeed the league's investigation finds that the Coyotes did any wrongdoing, we should make sure to underline that. Right. Uh, but it's pretty serious, and and the other teams are pretty upset about the allegations. And and I will say this in the context of the nightmare that baseball is going through right now with the Houston Astros and the cheating scandal. Right. That I think checking the temperature of the room that way is important as a backdrop to all this. Uh, I mean, if, if the league investigation truly finds wrongdoing by the Coyotes, I, I think the league's going to come down pretty darn hard. Mm. I really do. That's interesting. So that, that still doesn't seem like there's um, anything imminent on that front, but it's, it's still kind of going on. Um, some uh, rule recommendation that actually came out of this, mm-hmm. um, which I think was a long time coming, right? We, the skate the air. Skate in the air rule <laughs> and the breaking the plane. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I don't get too worked up about it either way, but, but it's, I guess the only positive is we can stop talking about it now. <laughs> Because Colin Campbell tried this three years ago at this meeting, and he was pretty dejected when the managers didn't vote in favor of it. So I yeah. think this was a kind of a win for him. And it doesn't help when you have a Hall of Famer and Steve Eisman stand up in the room, as I guess he did yesterday, and and explain why he wanted the rule to be tweaked. So that's that's some pretty good support for Colin Campbell. And uh, and I think the the information that best underlines why this makes sense is that there have been 14 goals so far this season that have been wiped away by because a player has a skate in the air kind of dumb right right i mean really we want offense right yeah exactly um all right any other conversations to stand out to you Uh, i mean we kind of went through the nuts and bolts of it all. yeah i think you know dale talon asked and received the 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 discussion point on the all-star break and the bye week and Mm. um you know I, i think he has a lot of support of other GMs that just don't like what's happening with the compression of the schedule in the second half. You know, you come out of these 10 day breaks between all-star and bye week and you play like six games in nine days and here we go. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of injuries. And I think I personally believe a lot of these injuries are, are tied to the compression of the schedule in the second half. And, you know, fortunately for, for Dale and for other GMs, what they were told by Bill Daly is that the, the bye week is a, is a negotiated, uh, element with the NHLPA, so right. they can't break it. But we'll. What Bill Daly did add, though, is that it's a year-to-year thing right now. It's not a multi-year agreement. So next year there will be bye weeks again. Yeah. But beyond that, who knows? Given that they're in CBA negotiations, so so maybe next year is the last year we see it. Then again, the players love it. <laughs> so right. so right. maybe not. Well, that was the clear thing to me. I think it was Gary. That's like this isn't our thing. Like we're right. sitting there going, boy, this this might be a problem this week off, and he's like. This isn't, you know, we're we're working with yeah. the players on this. Like clearly, the league doesn't love and, it. And I and I get why the players love it. You know, uh, you know, Alex Ovechkin went down to Mexico and with his family and relaxed. I mean, that's important yeah. for players. But the 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 side effect of having so many games in February and March is 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 so damaging. I think to the players physically and mentally, frankly. And it's not just because of the bye week. I mean, the owners themselves have done this to themselves a bit because they don't don't like to have a, a heavy schedule in October and November especially yeah. the U.S., uh, uh, southern U.S. teams. They, they, they prefer having a backloaded sure. schedule. And it's not really something that the players would want to argue about because, of course, HRR is 50-50. So, it, right. so that part of it probably everyone understands. But between that and the bye week, I mean, you're just – I mean, there are teams playing, I think, 14 games in March. Oh. Like, yeah, I know. Like going uncle, into the playoffs, Going into the right? playoffs where you, you so hope to play two lose, months. Yeah. yeah. And, you, I mean, so you're going in gassed, which yeah. is, I mean, not ideal. All right, well, another one in the books, Pierre. Yeah, man. Good work, boss. Great work this 
great work this week. Uh, again, uh, be sure to check out Pierre's great conversation. I piped in a couple questions uh, in English when you would let me speak some English between you and Mark Bergevin. Uh, two-man advantage, fantastic podcast. I'm always excited to hop on that. And yeah, I'm cheating on Scott Burnside right now. I know. Don't we won't <laughs> make sure he doesn't see any tweets about this. Uh, and up next, we chat with Brian McClellan, Washington Capitals GM. So, Brian, first I want to talk about the kind of the topic of the GM's meetings. Really, nothing, <laughs> nothing for us to write about or talk about. Aside, I guess. The offside. Like, what's what's been the most interesting thing to come out of this for you? Out of the meetings? Yeah. Like, um, what's so far? Like, is, has any of it been? Was any of it you're doing? Did you have anything on no, the agenda? No, I didn't. I didn't. I knew the offside thing was coming. Um, I, I think, you know, maybe one of the more interesting things is the social media presentation. I heard about you know, that. You know, I think this is the second time we've had it. Okay. And I think, you know, as a, as an organization, I mean, they. You know, philosophically, how are we thinking as an organization and how are we encouraging or not encouraging it um, within our organization? Is it acceptable for our players to, you know, push push them a little more in that direction? I thought, you know, they did a great job of That was Heidi, right? Was it Heidi? Yeah, Yeah, Heidi. So she, you know, just a a relative comparison of our sport to the other sports Mm -hmm. on, you know, where we sit in that domain and I don't, I don't know I'm not a big social media person I follow news on Twitter not a Facebook guy um, no Instagram and I'm assuming, <laughs> so <you're> really, <laughs> I'm assuming that there's I'm one of the more progressive ones in that room <laughs> you know so I, I don't know I mean I think it's uh, an important area for and we have I try to address it with our organization after the last time she made a presentation just to see just kind of get in tune with what we were right. doing along that lines, and uh, you know we've we've uh, allocated more resources and people to that area, and I think we're making improvements as an organization. But I still believe, you know, when I see the national or the global reach of some of these athletes yeah. that was in the presentation, I think we got a long ways to go. I want to say some one GM said they showed a top 100 and there was zero hockey zero players. hockey guys. I think yeah. that's and that's I think a problem, Ovechkin's right? one of the, uh, yeah. the top global hockey guys uh on social media so let's i want to talk about you personally on this because you i did look before we talked and you do have a twitter account and it was something the, the only tweet was something like hello everybody this is no <laughs> i don't have a twitter you account do. It, well unless somebody's it's not fake, mine oh, it's i, not I didn't know they've had a couple well uh, there was one ones. okay there was yeah. one that says brian mcclellan that seemed yeah. legit but yeah, you weren't following no. anybody and there was no tweets of substance yeah, no i don't uh, you don't i don't put anything out on Twitter. But you do consume it. I will consume a little bit of it, yes. For hockey news or for, for like just both, news? Both, a lot of news, yeah. yeah. You know, political news, hockey news, uh, life interest news. So if somebody from the league is like, look, we have an opportunity here and you guys as stewards of the game can set the example, like, I just can't see, like, I'm trying to imagine someone being like, yep, just talk to uh, Ken Holland and great trade talks like there's no scenario where i can see you guys as gms yeah i don't think the gms i don't think it's a platform for gms to use uh i, I imagine you could create something but i don't i mean most of your conversations or stuff you're working on are you know in-house and you want to keep right. it in-house right but I, the, so to me the interesting thing is the players and i think you guys as a team 
your players are pretty active. Yeah, I think we have some guys like Instagram. I know uh, uh, Ovi, you know, his family uses it a lot. Yeah. Uh, Oshi's family uses it a lot. Carlson's using it more now. Uh, I think people really like the family stuff that's being generated. Right. I know our, internally our, our social media people use a lot of the team celebration stuff. Right. Uh, you know, um, the puppy stuff. Everybody loves <laughs> Everyone the puppy loves stuff. stuff. That's social media gold. Yeah. So. How, about, how did you feel about, and that, like we loved just how transparent the cup celebration was on social media. How did you feel about somebody who's in charge of it all and has to. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was great for the two three days and then i started calling the pr and say is this going on a little too long <laughs> do you think we you're need like to, august 10th you, know, you were like hey this this is- tone it down a little bit here it's going week two weeks yeah uh you know, i guess we monitored the reception of the things that were going on and it seemed to be all positive so right. we kind of let it go as long as we could and, and so, like, I imagine that when they do a presentation, that's probably exactly what they're looking for. Like, give people a glimpse of... Yeah, I, I you know, they want to see personalities. They want to see what people are up, what they're doing in their lives. Um, you know, I think our generation would have thought differently about that stuff. That's more private stuff. Right. Uh, the way we're brought up. But, it, you know, I think if we want to compete at that level, um, players are going to have to put themselves out there a little bit more. How do you, like, hockey has a kind of this culture against promoting individuals, you know, and you even heard it like Alex Ovechkin, like there would early on in his career, there'd be criticism of how he played or how he celebrated, which it seems ridiculous now in retrospect. What, how do you balance that, that kind of tradition of? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a tough one. Uh, It's, you know, it's a team sport. It's always been a team sport. Uh, you know, you got to buy into your teammates, and then when you're promoting yourself as an individual, it kind of goes against the grain of right. the team atmosphere and philosophy. But you got to be okay with it on some level. Yeah, right? I, I, I guess there has to be a way you can bridge the gap on that. You know, you with your teammates, or you know, a way to go about it that still promotes the team and you know shows a little bit of your own personality. Um, you made. I mean, this is still entertainment, right? And along those lines, you made to me the most entertaining trade of the trade deadline in acquiring Ilya Kovalchuk, because it's as somebody who covered him early on in his career and was covering like Ovi and Kovi and that whole scene, and they were friends. And you're like, boy, it would have been crazy to even imagine them being together. What's the what's the backstory? Like, where where did the did Montreal did Mark Bridgman approach you, or like how did that come about? No, I think we were looking. For an option, a scoring option, uh, you know, we had a couple guys we were pursuing. He was one of the names uh, um, we put on our list and we, you know, checked in on a few times with Mark to see where he's at and what he was doing with him. Yeah. Um, you know, we monitored his progress in Montreal, you know. Um, you know, obviously the situation in L.A. when he came out of there, everybody had a crack at him. Right. We, we discussed it pretty thoroughly and you know had a trouble getting our arms around where he was at and would it be how risky would it be to bring him in and would it have a chance to be successful you know Montreal had an opportunity with injuries to you know basically get a no risk look at him and see how he did and and he did well and you know and then Mark spoke highly of how he was off the ice his compete level and just his overall contribution to their organization. Yeah. 
Um, so we decided to pursue it. Um, you know, and we all, you know, we had the Russian guys on our team that all know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I see them talking to him when we're on the road in L.A. They had a big conversation with him. I, I know they're all friends and they've been around each other. Um, so, I mean, it's you're wondering what kind of influence he's going to have on our organization. And so far, it's yeah. been positive. You yeah, know, I think the younger guys, Orlov, Kuznetsov, really look up to him. Ovi has a friendship, mutual respect relationship. Um, so I'm, you know, I think early returns, it's been good. And, um, it's been a good impact on our Russian players and on our team. How do you, I mean, you talked about doing the research. Well, first I wanted to ask you, did you, did Alex, did you bring him into that decision-making process at all as someone who knows him well? Well, I know those two talk. Right. And so, you know, Alex would say, you know, I talked to Kovalchuk, he's interested in playing here. If there's an opportunity... You know, do you think we could pursue it? Those are the types of conversations we had. Yeah. And then I'd tell him, you know, here's what we're looking at. We're thinking of this guy, this guy, and maybe Kovalchuk. So we'll see. I'll keep you informed as we go along. Yeah. Well, I was having a conversation with another, G- another GM who said one of the hardest things to do at the deadline is to bring in a personality. And and I th- and a personality, and this wasn't about Kovalchuk, but, and a personality who's maybe not the player he used to be, right? So you, you're dealing with like, hey, this is a big name, but he's not – as good as he once was did like was that a concern or how do you balance that well i mean i had probably three good conversations with Ilya okay. uh, personally okay to explain the role explain the situation um you know he might not get power play time like he got mm-hmm. in montreal um i said he was going to start on the third line um you know he probably gets moved around a little bit i mean we were very concerned about him accepting right that role and you know with the guys on our team um, he he said all the right things his biggest concern he didn't care about ice time was to chance to win a cup yeah uh, so you know and I give him a lot of credit and took him for his word yeah he was so good for New Jersey the year they went to the cup and he was yeah, I think he had a bad back and you didn't we, no one knew how bad it was until after the fact like that I think that will to win got lost on him early in his career because of a lot of ex- you know the, the stuff that goes around it but there was ne- like never any doubting that desire yeah like yeah. i think i mean you'll see that just a short time we've had him he seems like a competitive guy yeah you know uh really you know he's competing physically he's competing defensively you know he's getting a lot of opportunities he hasn't scored yet but uh you know i think to get to be an athlete that the level he's at is you have to be that person. You have to be that competitor. And I love that there's five Russians now. You got your own version of the Russian Five going on. Yeah, maybe we make a movie sometime, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, like, I, I, did you feel any pressure this deadline? I, I look at where everything, where things are, age-wise, with the Capitals. Like, you're not in that mode where you're thinking ten years down the road, right? When you have a guy like Ovi. Yeah. No, I, I feel pressure to maximize it every year. Yeah. Every yeah. year I've been here, I've been trying to maximize it because I, I think you know uh, Ovi and Nick, uh, you know, they're they're getting older and they they have expectations of we want to compete for it, and you know we want the deepest, fullest lineup we can have or right. we can ice. And that's not a great way to manage a team, like in general, like I, and I mean that in a positive like it's hard your job is to think for five years down the road yeah but i mean you you're my job is to manage 
what we have going on in our organization. Right. You know, and I, you know, you try and maximize our opportunity to win it, and you're trying to, on the other hand, you know, you, you can't just give all the draft picks away and you right, know we right. got to be active on the other side of development wise too because we're going to need players here in the future yeah and you see a guy like verona come up like yeah verona you know wilson's continuing to get better kuznetsov still in his, in his prime you know we got my michael coming protoss we got some guys coming yeah. that can fill the gaps for us yeah you guys have drafted like historically have drafted right really well yeah i mean we've given up picks but we've also you know our amateur guys have hit on a couple too that really help yeah because if you don't hit on those and you got gaps in your picks you could get pretty thin quick yeah so i wanted to ask you specifically so we had your owner on this podcast a couple months ago and he he said something about you when when they were making a decision to gm and they you know they really were pretty exhaustive in their research and then he said you know brian came in and pitched his vision and almost like and i don't, I don't want to like put words in his mouth it was like it was, it was like he didn't care what anyone thought. Like this is what I would do, and I'm curious what that looks like when you're sitting there and okay, you're you're making a pitch for a job. You're like, this is my one. This is my I'm, I got this is my shot. What did that look like? What was your thought process going into that? Well, I think I mean you got to you know I think it was important for me to display that I had a good feel for what was going on in the organization. Yeah, uh, I got a good feel for where we were at and where I thought we could get to, and I you know I. I, my personality is more honest and upfront and direct in a communication style. So I, yeah. I went into it presenting it like that. I didn't necessarily think he would buy into it or <laughs> anything. I was just going to be, well, this is, this is matter of fact of yeah. where we're at, what I think we need to do, and how we, how we should get there. Can you give me some insight into what you said? Uh, <laughs> yeah. <what> you <laughs> no, I, may, I basically, I think... You know, I went through how an organization should function from ownership to president to manager to coaches to players. Yeah. Um, I gave a, you know, a description of where we've been, where I thought the team needed to be, you know, from a coaching perspective. Right. Uh, what buttons needed to be pushed to get us to the next level. Uh, I gave, a, you know, a view of what we'd have to accomplish a free agency, uh, where our players were at, how long it would take for certain ones, Burkowski, Kuznetsov, to yeah. get to where we thought. So it was, it was a pretty, pretty thorough evaluation of our organization. I guess, you know, for me, working in there that long, I, you, you, you have a natural insight, or you should have a natural insight right. and a solution to what you think was going on with the team or what I thought was going on with the team. I think sometimes it's hard for the people that are that close. Like you get attached to players or, or even like it's hard to have that outsider's view. Or yeah, but or I think, wrong. you know, my role is you're not around the team all the time. You're on the outside a little bit. You're, yeah. You have short pockets where you're involved with the team, you're involved with the coaches, involved with uh, George, the manager, and yeah. then you're out. You know, you're scouting, you're doing your other things. You know, we're, you know, we're running Hershey. We're doing all the other stuff. And so it's not as emotionally tied as the guys that are here every day. So yeah. it's, it's a different type of opinion. There's, it's interesting, in, t in doing research to talk to you, there's not, like, there's not a lot of, about you out there. Like, you've kind of kept to yourself. 
<laughs> like, it's interesting. Like, I, I, is that by design? Are you like a private person by name? Like, you're a, a Stanley Cup winning GM of a very prominent American team. And, yeah, it's like. Yeah, I mean, I you know, you go back to the, it's a team philosophy, you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, you don't. The manager is part of the team, and, and he has duties to do, and you do your job, and you do it right. Right. And the players expect you to do a good job. The owner expects you to do a good job. Um, I don't know that I'm a media-type person or... I would say you're not. That out. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, you're, you're right. I want to do a good job, and I want to win, and I yeah. want the players to be happy with the job I'm doing and the owner to be happy with the job I'm doing. Yeah. What, like, what did you like doing before you were the GM like what was it within the organization you loved doing the most like what, um, what really was your passion you know, I did a lot of work with Hershey yeah. you know and we won a great program three Calder Cups and almost four yeah. so we, you know we had a good um, um, we were signing some good veteran players we were complimenting them with you know we had some pretty good picks at that time so we, we were creating quality teams at the NHL or at right. the AHL level and uh, they were competing every year for a championship. So that was, was a great, pretty satisfying yeah. and uh, uh, a good accomplishment. Yeah. So, so I wanted to, one of the things that stands out to me, there's not a lot, of, and maybe it was different when you were a college player, but there wasn't a lot of people who or typically are, you know, go from Ontario to Bowling Green. How, well, like, what, I would get, like to get into some of that backstory. Yeah, was, yeah. We, um, you know, we had, uh, we played, or I played junior in my hometown, Guelph. Yeah. Uh, we ended up winning a Canadian championship. And so we got a lot of recognition and a lot of college programs were um, recruiting guys in our team. Um, so you got exposed to recruiters in a lot of schools and visited some schools. And, and in fact, you know, Bowling Green had Ron Mason there at the yeah. time, and they recruited pretty heavily in Southern Ontario. Okay. So, and there was a lot of guys from Toronto that were there, and that whole Southern Ontario region that were there already, and then they were still recruiting from that area. So, um, naturally, hit it off with Ron Mason, and the school was a really fun school to visit. So, just decided yeah. to go there. It was a good hockey school. You know, yeah. it was it yeah. was fun. It was a fun program. Um, so it was it was a good choice and um, um, loved the four years there. It was a lot of fun. What so you played for two fair in the college ranks, two legendary coaches. First Ron Mason. What what stood out about your time with him? He went on to Michigan State. Well, he was there when I was there, like just running a great. Yeah, he, he's he's you know he's a good coach. He was a good person. Um, liked the emotion he brought to games. Um, really had a pulse on at that time the college athlete and. You know, we were always a competitive team, and he pushed the right buttons. He really had a lot of respect for how he went about his business. Yeah, and then Jerry York comes in. Jerry was a little different. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He had a different philosophy. You know, he was, um, you know, more rah-rah kind of guy, um, real positive um, influence on everybody, uh, always doing the right thing, um, changed the style of play that we played. You know, it was more... European, more puck movement, mm. more motion. Um, so it was a totally different experience than Ron Mason. You like that? Is it? I preferred Ron. It was you more a uh, straight north game. You right. know, um, get the puck in, work hard to get it. Yeah. I had trouble adjusting to uh, Jerry's style. Yeah, it was a different, different type of style. When did you, when did you first meet George McPhee in that setting? 
In that setting? Yeah. Well, we, I met George. We played Bantam together. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, in Guelph. So we were on a Bantam, I think, travel team. We played against each other in Pee Wee. And then uh, Bantam Travel. And then we ended up going to high school together. And then we oh, played junior that. together. Yeah. Played junior in Guelph on yeah. the same team. So we've grown up together. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, I heard you guys as seniors were tough on the freshmen. That's that's the word in the street. Really? The, the bowling yeah. game, George. No. Well, we just passed down <laughs> what happened to us. <laughs> they were tough on us, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, and so you play, I mean, you, you have a great NHL career, and then what I'm always interested in is that decision when you're done playing, right? And you go and get an NBA. What was that thought process like for you? And, and I'm not trying to gloss over your, a good NHL career. Yeah, no, no. That's um, You know, when I was playing in Minnesota, they had a career bridging course. I think it was put on by the Players Association. So okay. a guy would come in. They had a guy from uh, University of St. Thomas come in. And it was more anybody that was interested in furthering their education or trying to plan for a career after hockey. Right. Um, so I met there but most of the guys were a couple guys were want to finish high school and then a couple guys want to start taking college courses where I had already graduated from college but I listened anyways and I right. went up to the guy and talked to him after he said well you should get into grad school and I never really thought of doing it yeah and so I took the test that summer I studied for the test got the, you know your results then yeah. I applied to a couple schools uh, the University of Minnesota and the University of St. Thomas, and then I uh, started taking classes in the summer. Yeah. So when I was playing, I'd take two classes every summer, and I got half of it done while I was playing. And then uh, when I get finished playing, I went back full time and uh, graduated. So that so you were already starting. Like I, a lot of guys struggle with that first year, where you're just they feel like they're thrown into the wild. They don't even know how to like get a checking account. You know what I mean? Like right, that's right. I think that's a real challenge for players. You were already laying the ground yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I was. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to do something, you know, I was more, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to get into finance. I was had interest in that area, so I was, you know, how do I go about it? So through school, through classes, you learn what type of finance you like, and you get yeah. exposed to different things, and, it's, and different people, too. So it was... Uh, you know, I came out of that one to be a stock analyst. Right. I wanted to be a small cap analyst. I wanted to work for a portfolio manager being a small cap analyst because that was the class I enjoyed the most. Yeah. You know? So it was, it was. That's where the money's at. Right? Yeah. I mean, the money, but it's a fun <laughs> job. You know, it's, uh, you know, trying yeah. to find smaller companies that, you know, you think are going to be successful and um, projecting that. So it was. I know a good little Silicon Valley media startup out of San Francisco. Oh, you do. That if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> good stock tip. So you worked for, how long, you were at an investment firm for a while, right? After, yeah, yeah. How long yeah, did you do that probably for? Probably five, six years. Okay. How does that, like I imagine that, that's an important part of what you're doing now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing some of the things that I learned how transferable they are. You know, mm. I, at one point in the, in my job, uh, I had the, the duties of doing investment manager research. We did it for institutional uh, investors. So okay. we'd go around and, you know, go through equity managers and their process, how they go about creating their portfolios. Mm. You know, one, you know, you want to make sure they're in the right style frame. And then you want to get an insight into how, how do you whittle your universe of companies, which is pretty big, down to your portfolio number right. how do you get it down to that and uh you know each guy would have different you know they start with the same kind of screens and processes but 
down at the end was where they got a little creative on how they found companies and that. So we apply, our process is like an investment process. When when we're at the deadline or when we're in free agency or whatever, we've created a process where we narrow it down to, you know, companies or players that we think fit what, you know, our overall team needs or wants. I've heard people make that comparison, like managing a roster as a manager is like having a portfolio. And and it sounds cold. I mean, these are players and people with lives and stuff but it's like we can't have too many big blue chip whatever in a cap system and you also need some up and coming like it is almost like a portfolio yeah yeah. some uh, smaller growth stocks you need a few smaller (laughs) growth stocks (laughs) at all times for sure and there's some value plays all the time you know the value managers are always looking for value plays uh, yeah so you're always on the alert for that you know you want small gap growth and uh, your blue chips you need your blue chip you've got some blue chips yeah steady income comes from them (laughs) that's right i like that approach to the trade deadline because that's i think those are the moves and you and you i think that's kind of been your approach is we're trying to hit the high growth low risk yeah, Low-ish I mean, we did it. We did it once with the Shattenkirk, you know, where we, yeah. you know, let's let's get a, you know, you know, a, a marquee defenseman. Let's, you know, at that time we were, you know, can we improve our power play? You know, right. uh, and I, I think he did it. You know, the overall team result wasn't there, but uh, you know, Shattenkirk came in. And I thought he played well in a power play. I didn't think you guys gave up that much. I thought that was okay. I did too. Yeah, I did too. Thirty-first <laughs> pick plus a prospect. Right. So. Right. Um, so, all right. So, how do you make the transition then to a front office? You, you're working in this world of finance. Yeah, I, I've all you know. I, me and George grew up together. Yeah. George uh, contacted me. I think he had been working two or three years in Washington, and he said, "You have any interest in switching over?" And it, just at that time, I was established in my other career. So it was, you know, I did a lot of work to get to the point where, right. you know, you, I could do this for the rest of my life if yeah. I chose to and George said you know why don't you 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 think of coming over and why don't you test it out and see if you like it and and then we I tested it out I started going to games part-time yeah while I was working and then I talked to George and it just evolved into a full-time job and I made the switch which was a risky switch at the time I thought it um, is and then kept going from there what was that, what was your methodology in making that decision? Like, did, was it like a I plus know, and you minus? Know, I, list? I think, yeah, you know, it was. I think when you when your career finished, when my career finished up, you're a little, you're always. I think the older guys are always a little. I'm done with the game for a bit, right? Because it doesn't always finish the way you want it to do, especially if you're not a star guy. Yeah, um, you know, it, you kind of dwindle, and you're you're not playing. You're down. You're sitting out, right. and then they tell you you're done. So you're right. finished. So you're like, I've had enough of this for a while. But then you, 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 you hockey's been your whole life. So after you've been out, you work in the world and you're doing yeah. your job. You go, I kind of miss being around the game, the people, um, because you grew up. Right. Your whole life has been the game. So that went into the decision making of switching back over. Yeah. And you had a Stanley Cup, so it wasn't like you know, yeah, right. you're chasing right. or right. I guess it's different when you build it and, and you're part of it. Um, all right. So, last thing I like to to ask: Are you an avid reader? Where are you at on the? Yeah, I'm not, off and on. I'm okay. a part timer. You're a part timer. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you do to, I guess, get better at your job? Or what do you, like? What do you What are you doing to try to stay out front of trends or? 
I'm always curious, like, how people yeah, approach that. I mean, uh, you know, we've talked about it before. But philosophically, how yeah. do you how do you develop your own philosoph- um, philosophy on how do you run your organization? How do you treat people? Right. How do you go about everything within it. So I try and read. I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Any good uh, recommendations? I mean, we've gone over a few of them. I don't know what yeah. I've had lately that's that's good though. Yeah, nothing yeah. top of mind. I need something good. I've got a really. I'm on a bad book right now. Yeah. Uh, well, Brian, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me I on. I know you don't like to talk about yourself yeah. too much. <laughs> yeah, right. so this was really good. I'm glad yeah. you <laughs> were doing it. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I want to thank Brian McClellan of the Washington Capitals, along with teammate Pierre Lebrun for joining the podcast this week. Uh, always great to talk to to both of those. Um, the NHL GMs, is, it's just a great opportunity to catch up with people, have uh, have some great conversations, and I'm glad I was, we were able to share a couple of those with you. Um, and as always, um, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, where you can get all of these podcasts, all of our archives, I would encourage you to go to theathletic.com slash full60, and you get 40% off a year subscription. And as we get into the playoffs, we've got a ton of coverage co- coming a ton of podcasts. Definitely encourage you to check it out. All right. So thanks again to Pierre. Thanks again to Brian McClellan. And thank you for listening. Have a great week.